The following audio is from Gold Country Baptist Church in Shingle Springs, California. Visit gcb.church to find more resources and to learn about our church. December 3rd, 2023, Delighting in the Lord, Part 1. Heavenly Father, Lord, we pray, um, Father, for this time that you would just increase our joy and our delight in you. Help us, Lord, to remember that it is a command to rejoice in the Lord always. And give us the tools that we need so that we can delight in you and rejoice in you and take our eyes off of the difficulties that surround and, and just to fix our eyes on Christ. Lord, pray that you would use this time to bear much fruit in each of our lives. And, um, Father, that you would just turn our eyes toward you and keep them there. Not just for this hour, Lord, not just for this day, but help us to just keep them there. And when they wander away, bring them back. Lord, help us to just continue bringing our eyes back to you so that we can find rest in you, Lord, to find delight in looking through your word, learning more about you, learning more about your Son and the Holy Spirit, Lord, who indwells us as believers. We have him always. Help us remember these things, Lord, so that we might meditate on your truths and live them out day by day and so be a light in this world that is so needy of it, Lord. I pray these things in your Son's mighty name. Amen. Amen. So <clears throat> we are going to be turning our eyes toward delighting in the Lord. I read a quote uh, from Brad Bigney's book, Gospel Treason, actually the last couple of weeks as we, as we talked about the journey we're all on toward conquering the idols of our heart. Part of it said, quote, life for us is better when we're delighting in the gospel and loving Christ as our highest treasure. Life for us is better when we're focused on God and free from idols, end quote. So our highest treasure, Christ, delighting in the gospel. This should be our constant focus, fixing our eyes on Christ. Hopefully, he's where our eyes naturally tend to wander this time of year as we um, near the celebration of the birth of the Son in our world. Um, During the Christmas season, I think our our eyes tend to wander there, or at least they should. Sadly, in the normal seasons of life and our difficult circumstances, we often take our eyes off of Christ. And this is when we fail to delight in him. This is when we fail to love him as our highest treasure. Um, But this isn't exclusive to us. It's all over the Bible, right? If you think about Um, Old Testament believers, right, they were so fickle, so easily they wandered away from the truth, even when um, God was right there before them in a pillar of cloud. Um, I also introduced this little book by John MacArthur um, called Found God's Will. As you may recall, in his conclusion, he says, quote, God's will is that you be saved, spirit-filled, sanctified, submissive, and suffering. And I want to look at an example, Just we're just going to look at one example today of such a man from the Bible as we consider the conclusion that MacArthur comes to, namely that when those five elements are operating in your life, God is the one ordaining your wants and your desires. So think with me for a moment about Peter. He was so very human, just like every one of us. But he was always at his best, MacArthur says, when he was with Jesus. And the closer the proximity, the better. So Peter was a fisherman by trade, as you know, and when he met Jesus, 
He leaves his nets behind. Um, in Matthew 4.20, we're told, um, as Christ said in 19, he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And verse 20 says, immediately they left their nets and followed him. So at some point in each of our lives, we too met Jesus and he said, come, follow me. And whether we did it immediately or whether it took a little while, ultimately here we are following him. He did many miraculous things in his lifetime with Jesus, still talking about Peter. Um, Turn to Matthew 14 for just a moment, if you would. And I'm going to read an account of him in verses 22 to 33. We have another immediately. Immediately, that is Jesus, he, Jesus, made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. This is right after he fed the 5,000. Well, he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith. Why did you doubt? Why do we doubt? We doubt so easily and so quickly. Reminds me of the man in the book of Mark whose son was healed. And immediately he says, do you remember what he says? Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. unbelief. He says, I believe. Help me in my unbelief. And we're no different. We have moments of incredible boldness in our lives. I'm sure if each of you thought back to a time when you were bold and walked away and went, whoa, where did that courage come from? It was Christ. It was Jesus working in and through us. Um, But sometimes we lose faith in the middle of the storm. And when we do, Jesus does the same thing to us. So remember that in verse 31, it says, Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him. And so he reaches out and takes hold of us, too. And that's when we grab back on and get ready to ride out the storm. In Matthew 16, I will be going to verse 17. This was the discussion um, about who people say that Jesus was. And Jesus asks them in verse 15, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So his faith caused him to confess that truth. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I will tell you, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. 
Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was Christ, the Christ. And so out of Peter's faith, he confesses, this is who you are. doesn't matter who anyone else says you are. I know that this is who you are. And Jesus commends his faith and turns him into one of these little building blocks that the church is built on. And we, too, have the job of being those little building blocks um, in the church. We're called to be serving, right? We are to be saved, submissive, sanctified, suffering, but we're also to be serving in the church. We all have spiritual gifts. Um, I was in a conversation on Friday about giftedness, and we all have spiritual gifts that we're to use. We can't say, well, I'm not like that one, so I can't be used of the Lord. We're all to be used of the Lord. Some of the gifts we have in common, others of the gifts are we're uniquely called to, to use them. So um, later, let's go to Matthew 26. We're just kind of doing some broad sweeps of Peter's life, and hopefully in so doing, we'll see some broad sweeps of our own lives, um, our own walk of courage, our own walk of faith, our own walk of fear, our own walk of boldness, and our own walk of constantly returning to Christ, because that's what Peter did. He returned. Every time he walked away, he returned. And uh, as a result, Jesus gave him much power to do many things. So, uh, Jesus foretells of Peter's denial in Matthew 26, verses 31 to 35. He says, um, in verse 31, you will all fall away because of me this night. It is, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Again, Peter answers him, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. And then in the very next set of verses, we're told that Jesus says, come with me. I'm going to go pray. And Peter was with that group. And he tells them, stay here be watchful, I'm going to go pray, and they fall asleep. Verse 36, Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. How many of you have had that experience? Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. This is true of us. And so back in verse 42, again, for the second time, he went away and prayed. And he prays very similarly, ends with, and your will be done. Verse 43, and again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. <clears throat> he didn't even apparently bother to wake them that time, because then it says, so he went away again. Leaving them, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. 
See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. So this passage starts by him telling Peter, you're going to deny me even before the night is over. And Peter says, no, I would never do that. I'll die with you before I'll deny you. And then he can't even stay awake for an hour while Jesus goes away to pray. And Jesus comes back and wakes him up, and he falls asleep again. Jesus comes back and just goes and prays some more. He comes back, and then he wakes him up because now there's work to do. Right? Jesus has work to do. He has the Father's work to do that he just prayed, take the cup, but it's not going to be taken. He knew that, right? So Judas comes with many, as many as probably, possibly 500 to arrest Jesus. And Peter, quote, stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. A few commentators that I read all agree he wasn't aiming for the ear. He was aiming for his head, but he did not take off his head. He only took off the ear. So Peter, who couldn't even stay awake while Jesus was praying, was the first in line to say, no, no, you're not taking him. Over my dead body will you take him. And he really did risk his own life because, I mean, he's got one sword, right? What's he going to do against all these people? Um, But he's so bold in word, and then he's so lazy in deed, and then he's so bold in deed. He's so very human, just like you and I. Um, Sometimes I'm bold and brave for Christ. Other times I shrink because I fear man, or I fear a consequence, or I fear name the fear. We are afraid to be bold for Christ in the culture that we're in. Sometimes we, too, go to sleep on the job. But Jesus is always there with us, no matter what we are or aren't doing. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. That is a promise from Scripture. And then later in the same chapter, 26, verses 69 to 75, we see that there is this fulfillment of the prophecy, this threefold denial of Christ. By Peter, which had been foretold. And in verse 75, we see his response. It says, quote, And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, quote, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times, end quote. And he went out and wept bitterly. He was truly, genuinely remorseful. And as a result, later, after Jesus' resurrection, because he wasn't able to reconcile that with Christ before his death. But Jesus later restores him threefold after his um, his resurrection, and that is in John's Gospel, chapter 21, verses 15 through 19. Let's look at that real quick. John chapter 21, <clears throat> verse 15 to 19, it says, When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lamb. That was one. And then he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. That's two. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. 
You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourselves and walk everywhere, wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another dress, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after this, and after saying this, he said to him, follow me. So he denied him three times, but then Jesus gives him this sweet opportunity three times to say, do you love me? And so it just wipes out that denial, just like our sin has been wiped out on the cross. We no longer stand in the penalty of our sin. And as Peter left that place, I'm sure rejoicing in his heart, we too are to rejoice. We're to delight in Jesus because of what he's done for us. Um, there's, there was a book written, I'll uh, refer to it in just a little bit, but um, we'll get more into it next week. But it's just a meditation on everything that Jesus has done for us. And this obvious conclusion that based on everything Jesus has done, based on all the promises God has given, how can we do anything else but delight in him? It's just a shame to do anything but delight in him, rejoice in what he's done. Yet we find ourselves in these days, in these moments of, you know, the mundane things of life and even the extraordinary things of life coming at us when we fall away from that delight. We sacrifice willingly the delight of the Lord, the rejoicing in Christ because of these little things that are in front of us, right? We find ourselves walking on the water in one moment and sinking in the waves the next. But Jesus reaches out immediately and grabs onto us, right? It's like that but God verse. We have a triune God and anything less is nothing, right? We have this Trinity, who is loving one another from eternity past, demonstrates for us what that love looks like and brings us into that loving relationship with our Savior, with our triune God, through his sacrifice on the cross. So Peter was at his best when he was walking most closely with God. So are we. (laughs) But when they were separated, he faltered. We're no different. When we're not clinging to Christ and closely linked with him every moment of every day, we too falter. We fail in our thinking and um, we do the things that we don't want to do, right? Romans 7, Paul says, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I do. So we need to cling closer. Um, And that's the implication for us. We better stay close. We have to spend time with him, first alone, but also with others seeking him, speaking about him, sharing with one another what he's doing in each one of our lives. And in modern vernacular, texting one another if necessary, right? Sending scriptures to one another. I've had a sweet, sweet friend in a struggle this week, sending me scripture almost daily. And it's been such a blessing to my heart to read the things that she's sending. So he must be first and foremost. We have to give him our best. Not our leftover time, energy, and focus after we've done all the other things, right? Our kids demand our time and energy. Our husband deserves our time and energy. Our house must have our time and energy because we have all these people in it making messes. 
some of us only have one other person living in it with us making messes. But we're making messes too. We have to keep our homes. Um, the serving and loving of others are good things, but they have to come after our attention is first fixed on Christ. So don't hear me saying they're not good things. They are. But the first thing is Christ. So we've just barely scratched the surface on the life and work of Peter. We haven't even gotten into all the things that he does in the book of Acts where he was no longer physically with Jesus, but he was because Jesus had sent his helper, right? He was indwelled by the Holy Spirit, which is even closer than when he was walking with Jesus and Jesus would leave at times and come back, right? And when he left, Peter went to sleep. But he had the indwelling Holy Spirit, and you see the difference that he makes, that the Spirit makes in his life. So not only in the book of Acts as he's establishing that early church, but also in First Peter, in his counsel to those who were suffering, in his counsel to Christians in the book of Second Peter to arm themselves against false teaching by knowing truth. And so just going back to this book and making the analogy Peter was saved. He walked with Jesus, he learned directly from him, and he saw the miracles he did. After he was with Jesus, after Jesus rose, he received the Holy Spirit, he was spirit-filled. And in this, he was as close, if not closer, to Jesus as when he walked right next to him on the earth. It's the same spirit we've received. We have him living within us, working through us to do everything he's called us to do. So we really can be as bold as Peter was. We've looked before at James 4, verses 1 through 4, which examines why we fight, why we quarrel. It's basically because we're not getting what we want, right? Or because we ask out of the wrong motives, impure motives, and desires of our heart. And that passage wraps up in verses 5 through 7 by commending us to humility. It says that he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. And that's what Peter did. He submitted himself to God. So he was saved. He was spirit-filled. He was submissive. Um, And that sounds a lot like Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6, which most of you could probably all quote from memory. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. Right? Or he will make your path straight. Right? This is submission. That is our submission. But it's rooted in trust. Complete trust of who he is and what he's doing in our lives. Um, and so MacArthur's book refers back to Psalm 37.4 in its conclusion. I haven't forgotten suffering. We'll get there. But he says um, in Psalm 37.4, Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. So when we're delighting in Christ, he is the one guiding and directing our hearts, aligning them with his will for us so that what we want is exactly what he wants for us, right? Jesus said, not my will be done, but yours. Jesus was in complete alignment with God's plan for him. He's the one who made the plan with God, right? He knew what he had to do. And so when Peter cut off the ear of, I believe his name was Malchus, right? What did Jesus do? He healed him. He put it back. He healed him, and he went willingly. Mm-hmm. He went because he knew 
this was God's plan for him, right? And he walked willingly into a suffering none of us can imagine. Into a suffering none of us will have to experience because he experienced it on our behalf. Psalm 37 goes on to say in verses 5 through the beginning of 7, listen to the verbs. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the new day. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. And then the psalmist goes on in later verses to tell us to put off fretting, to put off anger. Those two things we've talked about very recently in this class. And then he says in verse 11, that the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. This is what we want, right? We want abundant peace. We want peace that would overflow out of us onto everyone else, right? We don't want to be the dripping faucet that the nagging wife is referred to, right? Even if you're not married, don't be a nagging woman, right? To anyone, not to your friends, not to your husband, not to your kids. Don't be the dripping faucet, right? Avoid that. So what gets in our way? Could it be that our inordinate affections get in the way? We've been talking about identifying those over the past few weeks as well as the fact that we have to replace them with something else. And I would argue that something else is an affection for Christ. We have to replace the desires for the things that we want that God doesn't want for us with the desire for the ultimate thing God does want for us, which is Christ. It's Christ and him crucified, Paul says, right? Um, He is the only satisfactory replacement for the things that lie deep within our hearts that we need to get rid of. The Puritan writer John Howe, and he wrote, um, quote, a treatise of delighting in God in 1674. And he unpacks Psalm 37, verse 4, one verse, in his book. That's about 200 pages long. I have not read it. I am currently consuming a summary of it, and it's unbelievable. We're going to get into a little bit more of what it says next week. Um, Apparently, there is an awful lot to say about delighting in God. Far more than I knew, far more than I could have imagined, and far more than I consider on a daily basis. And so I'm looking forward to getting into that with you guys. Um, But there was another article much shorter, not 200 pages, that I did read the whole thing, published at Desiring God, called The Purifying Power of Delight in Christ. And that gets into the sanctification aspect as well. Um, In it, the author, Tony Reinke, quotes a line taken from a letter published in um, Memoir and Remains of the Reverend Robert Murray McShane, which includes the line, For every look at yourself, take ten looks at Christ. And then he kind of goes on to expand the context, and I'll I'll read that in a minute. But it reminded me of that thing that you always hear, like, you know, for every correction you give a child, give ten praises. That is so hard. I've tried. I fail over and over. That is so hard. So how much harder for every look you take at yourself, take ten looks at Christ. Listen to the context. (laughs) Quote, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Jeremiah 17, 9 goes on, learn much 
of the Lord Jesus. For every look at yourself, take ten looks at Christ. He is altogether lovely. Such infinite majesty, and yet such meekness and grace. And all for sinners, even the chief. Live much in the smiles of God. Bask in his beams. Feel his all-seeing eye settled on you in love and repose in his almighty arms. I'm going to pause from this for a second because I've got a little bit more of it. Remember last week we talked about how we're not to be um, dictated by our emotions, dictated by our feelings, right? Like our actions are not supposed to be dictated by those. I think this is one we can be dictated by, right? Feel his all-seeing eye settled on you in love and repose in his almighty arms. This goes on. Let your soul be filled with a heart-ravishing sense of the sweetness and excellency of Christ and all that is in him. Let the Holy Spirit fill every chamber of your heart and so there will be no room for folly or the world or Satan or the flesh. End quote. I just love that. That just reminds me of um, Thomas Chalmers' essay, right? The expulsive power of a new affection, right? It leaves no room for folly or the world or Satan or the flesh. And then the author of the article, not McShane's book, but the author of the article wraps it up by saying, quote, as you delight in Christ, you are expelling sin and pursuing sanctification, end quote. It's this description of Christ I want to meditate on every single day. And as I do, it's going to cause me to marvel at him. It's going to cause me to worship him. If that's the picture that I have in Christ, in my mind of Christ, every single day, what will my thought life be like? What will my emotional life be like? What will my spiritual life be like? I will have not inordinate affections, but I will have appropriate spiritual affections that will draw me closer to Christ and keep me there. He will keep me there, right? He will hold me fast, as the song says that we sing. So it is this expulsive power of a new affection, right? The Holy Spirit who will, quote, fill every chamber of your heart. The book of Ecclesiastes is bookended with this with these words in chapter 1 verse 2 and chapter 12 verse 8 Solomon says vanity of vanities says the preacher vanity of vanities all is vanity and there's a little box in my study bible of all of the things that Solomon itemizes throughout that whole book that are the meaningless things of the world listen to the list human wisdom Human effort, human achievement, human life itself, human rivalry, human selfish sacrifice, human power, human greed, human accumulation, and human religion. And all of this leads up to his conclusion in chapter 12, verses 13 and 14, which says, the end of the matter. So in other words, this is what it all leads up to, right? The end of the matter is this, quote, All has been heard, fear God and keep his commandments, for this 
is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. End quote. That's verses 13 and 14 of chapter 12, the very last verses of the book. MacArthur says in his commentary, quote, Solomon's conclusion is Solomon's conclusion to fear God and keep his commandments is more than the book's summary. It is the only hope of the good life and the reasonable response of faith and obedience to sovereign God. So it's our only hope and our only reasonable response. We want to be reasonable people, right? I want to be a reasonable person. When I'm chasing after the inordinate desires, I'm not being reasonable. But when I am fearing God and keeping his commandments, I am responding reasonably to what I'm called to do, right? Phil shared with us um, Jerry Bridges' book, The Joy of Fearing God. And just I've just been thinking about this all week. I'm like, I need to get that book. I need to read that book. Um, so the good life, the reasonable response of faith, is the life filled with the delight of living with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We talked about this issue of his lordship, not just him as Savior, but his lordship, when we talked about idolatry, and it runs like a thread through our delight as well. When we reconcile his lordship, not only in our salvation, our sanctification, and our submission, but even in our suffering, we can delight in him, even in the storms of life. So remember, when Peter was most afraid, what happened? He took his eyes off Christ. But did Christ take his eyes off Peter? Not for a moment. Because we see in the scripture that Jesus immediately reached out and took his hand, took hold of him, saying, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? How many of us, on a daily basis, have that little faith? And we doubt, and we turn around and go, why did I do that? And in that moment where you turn around and ask yourself, why did I do that? That is Jesus reaching out, causing you to ask, why did I doubt in that moment? He is so gracious. He restores us. He reaches out when we lose our grip. And he uses the saints to reach out when we lose our grip. I love McShane's description of Christ. Because it's also who I'm supposed to be conformed to be. Meek, gracious, loving, sweet. Do these words describe you in your daily life? Do they describe me? I've been examining that this week. They do not yet, but I have hope because I have Christ. And I'm being sanctified just like you are as I look unto him who gave himself for me. So let's get to suffering a little bit. We did all the other four already. Peter suffered greatly in his lifetime and we're told to expect suffering by Jesus himself. But Jesus also tells us in Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And I think this labor isn't just the work that we're doing for Christ, but I think that idea of being heavy laden is the trial. It is the suffering. It is the fear. It is all the things that come as we commit ourselves to work for the Lord. And as we tell Jesus, right, I will do that for you what the Israelites said, right? All that you say, we will do. They echoed it to Moses. Did they? No. (laughs) Right? 
Peter said, I will never deny you. Even if I have to die, I will never deny you. When Jesus told him it would happen, not once, not twice, but three times. And he did. Three times. But only after he fell asleep on the job. Three times. Jesus said, wait here. Keep watch. Pray as I go and pray. And he was sorrowful before he left them. We read that, right? He didn't leave them joyfully. He left them sorrowfully to go be with his father. And they still fell asleep. Because even though the spirit is willing, our flesh is weak. Just like Peter's flesh is weak. So Jesus goes on to give us the answer. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's the same thing McShane said, right? So listen to his words again. Live much in the smiles of God. Bask in his beams. Feel his all-seeing eye settled on you in love. And repose in his almighty arms. This is the rest. This is the place of rest. We get into such busyness that we forget. Rest. Leave it in his hands. He can do it through us, despite us. Right? Think about those themes in Ecclesiastes, those themes in Ecclesiastes we just read. One of them was human effort, human striving, right? Human achievements, human wisdom, human effort, human achievement, human life itself, our rivalries, our selfish sacrifice, our power, our greed, our accumulation, and our human religion, right? It's not, oftentimes it's not what Jesus said it ought to be. His yoke is easy. His yoke is light. He will give us rest. We're told his commands are not burdensome. So when they feel burdensome, we need to go back to feel his all-seeing eye of love resting on us. One of the ways we delight in him is indeed by clinging to him, by keeping our eyes fixed on him and repenting more and more quickly. We all know we have to repent, but by repenting more and more quickly as he brings the things to our mind that we must repent of. He is faithful to reveal our sins. He is faithful to reveal our weaknesses. But we can't deny them as Peter did, right? We can't deny them. And even when Peter denied it and still did it, God came back and restored him three times. He gave him an opportunity to confess, you know that I love you. He gives us opportunities every day, right? His mercies are new every morning. He gives us those opportunities to come back to him and remind ourselves, yes, Lord, I love you. So we are to replace our inordinate desires with greater and greater measures of faith, greater and greater measures of gratitude by our daily choices of what we listen to, who we listen to, where we spend our time, how we spend our time. Our time and our energy are two resources he gives us, but he gives them to us in limited supply, right? We can't create more than 24 hours in any given day. So we have to make choices of what we do with those 24 hours, right? And sometimes we can sit in front of a good book, but not the book, 
and be entertained. And not that that's bad, but if we haven't spent time with him first, it's probably not the best thing for us, right? We can sit in front of the TV and surf. We're probably not going to find much redeeming. Not that it's bad to sit in front of the TV. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying Christ first, Christ foremost. And he's saying that. Um, So we just have to be careful how and where we spend our time. Turn with me, if you will. Let's go back to the Psalms. And let's look at Psalm 42. And the Psalms are just full of this theme. I mean, full of this theme. We'll look at a few more of them next week as well. Um, But for today, let's just look at 42. Um, Drew, would you read the first uh, five verses? And then, Annie, would you read the rest? That'd be great. Psalm 42. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down on my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls the deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning? Because of the oppression of the enemy. As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. So verse 5 and verse 11 are just a repetition of one another. MacArthur says in this active introspection, the psalmist rebukes himself for his despondency. So this is one who knows himself well because God has revealed him. Right? He, he shows us what's in our own hearts when we ask him to. Right? Psalm 139, 23 and 24. Search me, O God. Right? We need to be asking God every day. You know my heart. Show me. Show me what is in the depths of my heart. And by grace and mercy, he reveals those things slowly, one at a time. He doesn't open up the floodgates on us because he is gracious and he is merciful. And so this will probably ring some bells with you. It's a pretty well-known quote, um, but I'm going to read in maybe a bigger context than you've heard before. Um, Martin Lloyd-Jones in Spiritual Depression, Its Causes and Cures, says this, quote, Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you're listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You have not originated them, but they start talking to you. 
They bring back the problems of yesterday. Somebody's talking. Who is talking? Yourself is talking to you. Now this man, referring to the psalmist, now this man's treatment was this. Instead of allowing this self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. Why are thou cast down, O my soul, he asks. His soul had been depressing him, crushing him. So he stands up and says, Self, listen for a moment. I will speak to you. That's verses 5 and verse 11. And what does he say? He says, Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Coming back to Martin Lloyd-Jones. The main art in the matter of spiritual living is to know how to handle yourself. Let's step away from this for a minute. We're so concerned with handling others. Do we know how to handle ourselves? Sometimes I don't know how to handle myself. But God wants me to know how to handle myself, and this is it, right? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation, and my God. Okay, back to Lloyd-Jones. You have to take yourself in hand. You have to address yourself, preach to yourself, question yourself. You must say to your soul, quote, why art thou cast down, end quote. What business have you to be disquieted? You must turn on yourself, upbraid yourself, condemn yourself, exhort yourself, and say to yourself, hope thou in God. Instead of muttering in this depressed, unhappy way. And then you must go on to remind yourself of God, who God is, what and what God is, and what God has done, and what God has pledged himself to do. Then, having done that, end on this great note, defy yourself. And defy other people. And defy the devil and the whole world. And say with this man, I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance, who is also the health of my countenance and my God. So we have to know ourselves. We have to defy ourselves some, day, some days. We definitely have to defy the world. And in this, we shall yet praise him. We will turn away from that self-examination and that examination of who God is, what he is, what he's done, and what he has pledged to do. Meditating on the promises of God for my life will cause me to marvel at him, to worship him more. So that's the thought I want to leave you with today. When you wake up tomorrow morning, Repeat the encouragement with Paul from 2 Corinthians 10.5. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion. I'm sorry. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of Christ, of God, and take every thought captive to obey Christ. So John Piper did a, um, a talk, and in his talk he kind of summarized um, that paper I mentioned from John Howe. Let me get back to the title of it. <coughs> it was called A Treatise of Delighting in God. Again, 200 pages. 
an exposition of one verse, Psalm 37, 4. And um, he did a talk called The Joy of the Puritans, and it was so good. So we're going to unpack that a little bit next week. And his outline kind of went through it that um, there is a duty on the part of a believer to enjoy God. God gives us strategies to employ to enjoy him. There is a glory that we have and a glory that God has when we are enjoying him. And then he offers a summons. And so that's kind of his brief outline. And we'll go through that and we'll also talk about some ways that we can grow in delighting in the, in the Lord. And one of those is obviously spending time with him in his word, learning more, meditating more on, again, who he is, what he is, what he's done, and what he's pledged himself to do. Um, and we're also going to talk about the role of gratitude in the joy, in the life, in the joy, in the life of a believer. Um, because I think when we are meditating on things that we're thankful for, we are taking our, cap- our thoughts captive to obey Christ. Um, but I'll just end with this quick note. Um, he was at a conference, John Piper was at a conference, and he recounts the story of being on a panel in front of, I don't know how many people, but I assume a huge panel, with Elizabeth Elliot, who he just adores. And um, she kind of rebukes him for emphasizing joy over obedience. And he responds to her by saying, like, basically, joy is obedience. And I think he truly believes that, and I think he's right. Part of our obedience is to delight in Christ and to be those who have joy in our lives. And it's that peace, even in the midst of the trials that we go through, regardless of the difficulties that he brings on our path. Like, again, just think about Peter. Think about all the things that came up against him in his life. Think about Paul, all the things that came up against him in his life. Like, it's all over throughout the scriptures. The things that we fear, we all relate to different people in the Bible, right? Because we have those same, you know, besetting sins that they have. We have those same tendencies, those same temptations, some of it is fear. Some of it is anxiety. Some of it is a default anger. Um, but it's all there, right? And there are multiple examples of faithlessness that um, is rebuked in the scriptures. We need to have more faith. And we can. We just have to ask for it. And when we are taking our thoughts captive to obey Christ, that's where and when the joy comes, right? When we have his thoughts Isaiah tells us his thoughts are far above our thoughts. His ways are far above our ways. And Christ had a joy, we're told in the scriptures, even going to the cross. Right? He went to the cross, and there was a joy that was set before him. And the joy wasn't in the experience of the cross. The joy was in the outcome of the cross. Right? He brought all of us back to the Father with him. And that was his joy. His joy was in the accomplishment. And so we will be called to do work that there might not be joy in. You know, I, I tell my kids all the time, there's a part of every job that you won't love, even if you pick to do something you love for the rest of your life. I guarantee there will be a part of it you don't like. It's no different than our service for the Lord. There are parts that are not our favorite, right? But what's the outcome? What could we accomplish if we obeyed more? If we had more joy in doing the things that scare us to death? Right? If we would just submit to him and say, what is it, Lord, that you have for me to do? 
show me. Show me the sins in my heart, but show me the service that you are calling me to. Help me to have a more sacrificial mindset for you so that I can serve with joy. And as we do those things, we will experience the delight of the Lord. MacArthur says, when will Christians realize that they have everything? Peter wrote, according to his divine power, hath given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness. 2 Peter 1.3 You do not lack anything. I, too, lack nothing. But so many emaciated Christians, MacArthur says, go around and say, well, I just don't have the power to do this or that. The Apostle Paul said to the Colossians, you are complete in him. Colossians 2.10 Complete. What are you looking for? What are you asking for? James told us what to ask for. We ask for wisdom, right? But sometimes the wisdom we ask for isn't exactly the wisdom that God wants to give us. We want our way, right? We want God to tell us the answer we want. And he doesn't always do that. Because he knows better. He knows the thing we want is not the best thing for us. He knows that he has the best thing for us. And he wants us to know he has the best thing for us. And that's where the joy comes from. And since we have the Spirit, MacArthur says, we also have power. For Jesus said in Acts 1-8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. The word for power in the Greek is dunamis, from which we get our word dynamite. You are literally walking dynamite. And so, leave here and be dynamite in the culture. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, for your word, and I thank you for the joy and delight that we have in you. Father, the joy and the delight that comes as we meditate on your word, as we learn who you are, Lord, would you fill us with all knowledge of you, with wisdom and understanding, and Lord, help us to discern the things that you have for us to do. And show us, Father, the joy that you have for us in doing them. I agree that joy is part of our obedience, Lord. It's not the whole of obedience, but it is a part. We are told in Galatians that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Would you help us, Lord, to develop this fruit in our lives by submitting unto you? Because you are the one that will help us to bear that fruit in a world that so desperately needs to see it, Lord. Help us to be bold as Peter was bold in the book of Acts. Help us to be the women of the word that you desire us to be, Lord, going out and preaching Christ with our words, with our deeds. And Lord, as we turn our eyes upon you in this Christmas season, Father, help us to just rest in you. Help us to have that repose in the Almighty, knowing that we might not have everything under control, but you certainly do. Help us to be women of order and not chaos. Help us to be women who love others with the love that you are working through each of us in our lives, Lord. Prepare our hearts for what you have for us upstairs right now. And Lord, just prepare our hearts for what you have for us all week, Father. And if you have storms for any of us ahead this week, Lord, just give us your calm in the midst of them. And just help us to have a picture 
of Jesus immediately reaching out and taking hold of us, just as he did for Peter, Father, and restoring him. Even when he denied Christ, he gave him three opportunities to say, of course, I love you, Lord. Help us to live that with our lives this week. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen.